In this message, Answering the Call, Alan Swartz continues our series on the book of Nehemiah. This is Awaken Online, a virtual library of the Sunday morning messages at Awaken Church in McMinnville, Oregon. What are we here for? We are here to continue our series on the book of Nehemiah. How many were here last week when Mike kind of teed it up? All right, all right. You're, over the next several weeks, we're going to walk through this amazing book. And you're going to see different faces up here. And I, I did want to touch on that. Why do, you, do we share the load or, or have different speakers in a series like this? There's a couple of reasons. First of all, God speaks to us all differently. God has the ability to speak through every one of us, and he may speak through me differently than he speaks through Calvin or Mike or Pam. Everybody say Pam. Yeah. Pam's, uh, Pam's going to share. Um, that's one of the reasons. Uh, uh, the other reason is the people that speak are so blessed, and I'm one of those people. The, the last 10 days have been a, such a sweet time with the Lord in um, preparing for a message like this. He has a wonderful way of um, stepping in and speaking to you and, and guiding you when you prepare a message for the body of Christ. So, book of Nehemiah. What, what was Mike's takeaway last week? Start at the altar, right? God is restoring worship. God is restoring worship. Now, the book of Nehemiah is written in first person. Some people think it may have started from a journal or a diary that Nehemiah kept. Many of the commentaries think that later, Ezra and others put a little more structure around it. And it's widely known as what? When you think of Nehemiah, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Leadership book, right? I, I, whenever I think of Nehemiah uh, in, in the circles that I've been in, there was a book that Tony Dungy, a football coach, wrote many years ago, and it was about how the things we can take away it from Nehemiah in terms of leadership. I mentioned I have a daughter, uh, two daughters that went through Christian school their whole lives, and my one daughter went on to get her uh, theology degree from Biola. And I mentioned to my oldest daughter, the Biola grad, I said, we're doing a study on Nehemiah. And she said, uh, oh, I had a fifth grade teacher, and, and, and I remember this clearly, and we used, they used to do what they call a walk through the Bible. And she said, she made some hand gestures, and I don't remember what they were. They said, Ezra restored the people, Nehemiah restored the wall. It was just a way for kids to, to memorize this, the, the chronology of the books in the Bible. When I thought about that, it really does the book of Nehemiah a disservice? While it's true, he, he did restore the wall. Um, this book is about the amazing way that God keeps his promises, the way that he uses his people, and the way that this book reveals God's heart. Let's move to an outline that I have well, you know, you can bring up the outline. The, the message I'm calling is answering the call. 
I really like this outline of the book. Oh, we don't have a screen back there. Okay, we're there. Oh, we're going to have multiple slides. All right. Um, I like this outline. Chapter one, accept the call. Nehemiah accepts the call. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Chapters two to six are complete the work. And within those chapters, there's the seven tests of leadership. Doesn't matter if you're a teacher, uh, if you're, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about when my kids were small, I used to say to them once in a while, it didn't go well, so don't take this as advice. I used to say, I am, I am instituting a new policy. <laughs> and then there was criticism, gossip, there were draining complaints, there was personal temptation, slander, intimidation, and threats. I'm teasing. But these are the seven things that leaders run into and that they're tested by when they lead a call of the Lord. And I think it's very interesting that we will see how Nehemiah handles uh, these challenges. Chapters 7 through 13 are widely known as the, how he organizes the people. But the heart, the real heart of this book is in 8 and 9, where there's a supernatural cleansing of the hearts and a return to worship. There's a repositioning, a new posture, an adjustment of the people. Just like Mike said, and he illustrated so beautifully in the story of the seven-year-old girl that joined our Bible study here. And when we asked her, how do you worship? And she said, we come to church to celebrate. This is a story of coming back to that place of worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the Father that you are. I thank you for your wisdom, your power, your strength, your mercy, your presence, your patience. You are a wonderful God. You are Yahweh. You are here. We love you. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn your Bibles to Nehemiah 1. Remember, this is kind of, is written, not kind of, it is written in first person. It opens up. The first couple of verses, let me read them to you. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I think it's really important to understand the context of what 
um, Nehemiah is, is talking about here. And I'm going to, I'm going to read something to you. And then I'm going to, um, first I'm going to grab my water. I'm going to read something to you from Ezra that's going to explain why Nehemiah's heart is burdened first for the remnant and then for Jerusalem on a whole. I don't have a slide for this, but and, and it's a little bit long. I don't want to lose you. And I'm going to give you my layman's uh, cliff notes after I read this so, we can, so we're all on the same page. But if you want to turn with me to Ezra 4, um, 6. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days, and in the days of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Bishlam, Mithradel, Tabeel, and the rest of his associates wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the king that Nehemiah is in his court as a cupbearer, but let me keep going. The letter said, Rahum, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, together with the rest of their associates, the judges and officials over the men from Tripolis, Persia, Erech, and Babylon, the Elamites of Susa, and the other people whom the great and honorable Ashurbani, and Ashurbani Pal, deported and settled in the city of Samaria and elsewhere in Trans-Euphrates. This is a copy of the letter they sent. To King Artaxerxes, the king should know that the Jews who came up to, came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding the rebel, that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if the city is built and the walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid and the royal revenues will suffer. Now, since we are under obligation to... Since we are under obligation to the palace, uh, and it's not proper for us to see the king dishonored. We are sending this message to inform the king so that the search be made in the archives of your predecessors. In these records, you will find that this city is a rebellious city, troublesome to kings and provinces, a place of rebellion from ancient times. This is why the city was destroyed. We inform you that the king Inform the king that if this city is built and the walls are restored, you will be left with nothing. The king sent this reply to Rahum, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, and the rest of their associates. The letter you sent has been read and translated in my present. I issued an order to, and a search was made, and it found that this city has had a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion, and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of trans-Euphrates and taxes and tribute duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work so that the city will not be rebuilt. I really want to make it, I want you to understand to understand Nehemiah's call and to understand the magnitude of his call, you have to understand what he was up against. This is where this, this Artaxerxes has said, put a stop to it. Isn't it fascinating? Now, Artaxerxes is the king of Persia. They overran and took over Babylonia. Okay? So the Babylonians were the one that enslaved the Jews. But when Artaxerxes came into power, um, uh, over time, at two different times, he released people to go back to Jerusalem. 
But Artaxerxes gets this letter and he checks the archives. So in the submission of Babylon, there's still a library, an archive, the, the documents of history of time. And he goes back and he sees, yes, oh my goodness, yes, there is this, this problem and they are a threat. And so Nehemiah, who's obviously a well-positioned, talented man, he's, he's in the king's court. He has to overcome all of this that's going on. So let me read. Let me reread those first verses. The words of Nehemiah and the son of Hekeliah. The Bible uses names. People were named for very specific reasons. We, it's really fascinating that in our, in our Genesis class this morning, Munty mentioned that. And he was talking about how in Africa names are given they wait before they give the name, and they're trying to determine what is your, you didn't use the word purpose, but your destiny, or what you would be like. And so the immediate question was, well, what does Munty mean? Anybody know? Hunger. Is that not cool? Munty has a hunger to know our Father. He has a hunger for the Word. He has a hunger for good things. Just like that, Nehemiah means God is my comfort. And Hekeliah means wait on God. Nehemiah is going to need a lot of comfort. And he's going to do some waiting. He says, in the month, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel, one of my brothers, literally one, a brother, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them Listen to this, about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah is concerned for the people first. Nehemiah has a heart for the people, for the remnant, as well as Jerusalem. When you have a call for the, from the Lord, He tenderizes your heart. He softens you. He places you in a place and a position that you can do something with that. And he softens your heart. And then he breaks it for those people. A call is just as just as real right now, today, as it was for Nehemiah. So throughout this chapter, we're going to see the hints um, of what your calling is. We're going to get clues and insights into what your calling is. But the first one here is we see in these very first verses that he's, he's, he's primarily concerned with the exile. And what does his brothers respond? He said, those who survived the exile are back in the province in great trouble and disgrace. Well, you know what that is. Because we read what, what's going on down there. They, they've been shut down. They're, they've been stopped cold. Uh, they've, uh, they've been shunned. So it says, The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned. And his response is this. This is really important. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So not only he has a softness toward the people, the remnant, but when he hears this thing, something breaks. His heart breaks. He sat down and wept. 
for 20 minutes, a few days. He said, I sat down and I mourned and fasted and prayed for days before God, before the God of heaven. His heart is broken and at this point is placed in alignment with God's. Do you think God's heart's broken? Hmm. If your heart is broken in alignment with God's word, with God's heart, with God's nature and his character toward a specific people group, pay attention. We can get trapped sometimes. We Originally, when I started this message, I was going to say um, ability versus availability. Okay? We all have abilities. We all have talents. We all have certain giftings. We all have spiritual gifts. We all have uh, all these things. They don't get used unless you're available. But the trap is this. It's subtle. Because you have those abilities, there will be things in your life where people will plug you in because you have those abilities. But that's, there's very different from a call from the Lord. Very different. We can all run around with our abilities and stick our thumb in the dike. We can do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. The difference between a call or excuse me, the difference between a need and a nudge of the Lord, a calling of the Lord, hmm, there's a big difference, a huge difference. Your calling is something that you cannot do on your own. You have to do it in partnership with the Lord. That's the first clue. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Let me just read. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Wouldn't you like to know what took place over those days? The exchange that took place, the thoughts and ideas that were divinely birthed and cultivated in that dialogue, the process of doubt that Nehemiah had to overcome. And how that doubt and fear slowly converts to faith and hope and courage. Let's see how, how that plays out. Go to slide three, verses five through seven. Excuse me, five through seven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great awesome God. So he's come out of this time of of uh, mourning and fasting and praying and let's, let's assume listening. And now he has an opportunity to pray a prayer. And he says, Then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. I'm going to stop right there. What a great teaching on prayer. How often do we jump into prayer? Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, help me. Lord, heal this. Lord, fix this. Lord, take this away. 
Does Nehemiah start with his petition? No, he says, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. So he recognized first and foremost that God's way, God's plan, God's wisdom is far greater than his own. And that's the only way he's going to get anything done. And then he reminds him of his promises. He says, The God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Do you ever remind God of his promises? You should. In fact, I will be so bold to say he delights in it. He delights in it. I, 20, 21 years ago, I was in a prayer service in this very room. And there was only about four or five people. And a guy stood up in the back. He was one of the, uh, I don't know if he was an elder or deacon at the time. And he just started shouting at the Lord and began pacing up and down the room. And I was a brand new guy. I was like, I was like, whoa, lightning's coming. Something's going to happen here. But he was so upset. He and his wife had um, uh, been fostering a, a child and they tried to adopt and they were ready to adopt. And at the last minute, the rug got pulled out on that. And his heart was absolutely broken. So he began to just weep and cry out. But then he began to to, uh, remind God of of some of the promises in the Bible that God had given. And I remember sitting with a different elder after that. And I was like, I'm so shocked. And he said to me, he said, God wants your heart. God wants your dialogue. God wants when you're happy. He wants when you're sad. And in, in this case, Nehemiah is beautifully reminding God that he is aware of the promises that God has made. And he is aware who God is, that God is a, a, a God that keeps his promises. So he starts out this prayer with um, a God, great and awesome God, and a God that's a God of covenant of love with those who love him. What a great way to start the prayer. Now in verse 6, we start to hear his request, his petition, his ask. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. The prayer, hear the prayer of your servant, praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. There's, there's the next clue. God's going to call you to something great. It's always going to be for a people group. It's not for the United States of America. It's not for a new car. It's not, those are terrible examples, but I'm just trying. It's always a people group. It's always a people group that God's heart is for. And when I had this realization, I was like, Lord, what if... And I, 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 I told the Genesis class this morning or somebody I was talking to, I've had, I guess it was Pam, I've had three callings in my life. 
One was for a large, was for the body of Christ. One was for um, some very specific people within the church. And one was for a a group of people inside and outside the church. I never really even thought about until I went through this study. But all of these things lined up. He broke my heart. He placed me in a place to make things happen. And he positioned me to partner or co-labor with him. So he says, let your ear be attentive. Hear me and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. That's his people group, the remnant. Then he does a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And when you are called, this will happen too. You'll become very vulnerable. He's not haughty. He's not, these guys really need to get their act together. I'm the guy to help. I'm here, Lord. Here we go. No, no, no. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, the whole nation, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. He understood the obstacle. He understood the, the circumstances. He understood the um, consequences of the sin of Israel, of the sin, his own sin, the sin of his family, generations. We, acted, we have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. This tends to happen when we bump up against the holiness of God. When we are presented with the holiness and the mighty God, we are aware of how we fall short. And one of the mo- one of the most freeing, one of the most important things is that we confess and repent before him. If you find yourself confessing and repenting, that's another clue you're on a, on your way to your calling. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Now, we're, now, we're, now we have some insight too. He is a godly man. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of the word. He's a man of history. He's a man that's paying attention. If you are unfaithful, this is what he said to Moses, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands... Then even, if you, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, even if it looks impossible, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He calls out a very prevalent Old Testament theme. We just are reading in Genesis how Cain was pushed out because of his sin. He was scattered. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were pushed out to the fields. Cain was pushed beyond the fields. He would be a wanderer. He would have to hunt and gather outside the provision of the Lord. That's where the remnant is right now, outside the provision of the Lord. 
Clearly, Nehemiah was a man of prayer and seeking to know God's heart. In verse 10 and 11, he says, They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. You see, now, Nehemiah is in such great alignment with God at this point. He reminds Yahweh, these are your people for which you have redeemed. When did God redeem them? Their whole history is the redemption, the chosen people. They've strayed. God wants to restore them into a place of worship, a place where they can again hear his voice, a place where again they'd be in right relationship with him. So then Nehemiah repeats his ask, but there's a subtle difference. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants. Wait a minute. Now now he's including others in this prayer. Who delight in revering your name. We've talked about the fear of the Lord. Part of the fear of the Lord is revering his name, being in awe, being overwhelmed by who he is. And then he says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. What? (laughs) This is a bit of a tease. What man? What is he talking about? He's got a plan. This prayer has purpose. There is a faith component to this prayer. He's going to have to do something great and take a step forward. I don't want to step on Calvin's chapter 2, but I've got to touch on this a little bit. If you turn to Nehemiah 2, 4, 5, I'll give you a little insight. Nehemiah is before King Artaxerxes. And I'll leave it at that. And the king says to him, what do you want? This is really critical. He says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. What? It's in the moment. He's taking this huge step of faith and he goes in the moment and, and, and he gets to the place where the king asks him, what do you want? And He is in the moment speaking with God. And he says, I prayed to the God of heaven. I need that answer. How many times have you been in a difficult situation in a moment that needs wisdom, that needs power, that needs strength in the way you respond? And you think later, oh, I should have asked God about that. No, he is in so in tune with this thing that he's been asked to do that he, 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 in that moment, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. What does that mean? That means there's dialogue. He got an answer. He prayed to God and he got the words he needed. And he says to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, there's so much there. 
Let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. There it is. There's the moment. A decision has to be made. You see, in the weeping in the morning for days, his heart was breaking for the Lord, but he didn't know what he was going to do. But in that moment, God showed him what needed to happen. In that mourning, in that weeping before him, in that humbling himself before him, all of it came together and God said, you need to go and do this. And then the next question I'm sure was, oh, that's impossible. But nothing's impossible for this great and awesome God that Nehemiah is in relationship with. And so there it is. He blurts it out. If it pleases the king and your servant, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor is in sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Nehemiah stepped in all the way. He's answered the call. Does it mean it's laid out now? It's all black and white. It's going to be super easy. God's in this. We're partnering. Woohoo! Uh-uh. It's just beginning. And that's what we're going to dig into. It's just beginning. This book is not just about leadership. It's about relationship. It's about faith. And it's ultimately a display of how God restored his people and repositioned them to be in a place of worship. You are all benefactors of that repositioning. It also illustrates to us here and now how God is looking for, preparing, and posturing us to answer the calling in our lives. There's people in this body who are already fully engaged in their call. And in my prayer time, he pointed out, I'm not going to do that. He pointed out a number of people that are, whether you recognize it or not, you are pursuing the call that God has put on your life. There's some people in here that are dike holders that are, that are trying to do things because there's a need, but it's not necessarily their call. And there's many others that he is simply preparing, posturing, getting ready for that call. Let's remember Calling is always about his people. Some of the clues. He's softening your, you're softening your heart towards a people group. I know there's somebody watching online right now that I told to watch this. I want you to hear that. He's softening your heart for a particular people group. Then he's going to do something crazy. He's going to call you to something that you think is impossible. That's a really good indicator. Keep in mind, need is not calling. His nudge is. You have to know the difference. That's why we're here. That's one of the reasons we're here. We study his word. We worship. We spend time in prayer. We encourage each other. Why? So you can be in deeper relationship with the King of Kings. So he can use you. Ongoing connection, dialogue, 
It's vital. And one other thing, not all of us are going to turn a nation back to God. Maybe it's about being the best father you can possibly be. Because your children are going to lead children and those children and children. Maybe it's about being the best employee you can be and would turn a city government or a school or a business around so that God can use it. Maybe it's being Sonny who shows up every, every Sunday and tells you he loves you. You don't have to save a nation. But what you do have to do is listen for that nudge. And be available. Be available to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I just pray, Lord, that we would all move closer to you, Lord. And I pray that all of us watching online, here in the service, those are not here that are part of our church family, Lord, that we would, like the remnant before us, would search our hearts, that we would reposition ourselves for worship. You, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that we would be in a we would repent, we would confess, we would cry out to you, Lord, and we would be made available and ready and equipped for your call. I just thank you, Lord, for this amazing book, for this example of Nehemiah, and for what we can take from it. I pray for the speakers to follow, that they would be moved and touched by your word and by the time spent with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Awakened Church, please visit our website, awakenmac.com. That's A-W-A-K-E-N-M-A-C dot C-O-M.